For the Peterson Automotive Museum, this is Car Stories. My name is AJ. I want to thank everybody who's been listening and subscribing on iTunes. We have new Car Stories podcasts every Tuesday morning at peterson.org, carstories.com, and on iTunes. And if you like what you hear, hit subscribe, give us a good review, and share it with a friend. Today we are joined in studio with Alexander Bermudez. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's, that is correct. You are, uh, I would guess, called extreme Porsche owner and enthusiast. You're a member of... Uh, Porsche, uh, Porsche Owners Club, and you're probably most well known for your video, The Growler, which is a petrolicious video of you and your Carrera uh, tearing through some canyons. So I'm excited to talk to you about your love of Porsches and driving and photography and racing. Uh, but before we get started, we'll start off with what is your earliest automotive memory? Well, first, AJ, I'd like to thank you guys for having me. It's, it's a great pleasure to be here, and, and I'm, I'm very honored. Um, as far as my first memory, it's probably not a car per se, but an experience. Um, a couple of my friends, back when I lived in Trinidad, when, before I had my driving license, they had their driving license, and they basically drove like maniacs. Um, and I was always in the passenger seat. And I think that's when a light bulb went on for me, where I realized that you know, a car wasn't just to go from A to B. That is what my mother always told me. She's like, oh, you know, you just get a car to go from A to B, which, which is ironic because now I race and I tell my mom, oh, yeah, I just went from A to A to yeah, A to A. 200 times. Yeah, you know, and I wasted a set of tires and, you know, wore out my engine and yeah. all sorts of things. So I always find that kind of amusing. But I think that moment where, like, it really clicked for me was when my friends were tearing through, you know, um, you know late, late at night, tearing through, you know, quiet streets uh, in Trinidad, which is where I grew up. Yeah, what was car culture like in growing up in Trinidad for you? Well, I think a large part of the reason why we survived that part of our lives is because we were driving like, you know, early 90s Nissan Sentras. And, so you nothing know, too, too yeah, fast. Yeah, back then, Trinidad's a very different place now, but back then, nobody had anything serious. Um, you know, we were all driving very basic sort of Econo box cars, thank God, like I said. Um, and so the, the car scene there was zilch. Um, and, and the truth be told, I, I wasn't really into cars. I got my driving license um, when I was like 20. So, you know, I was late to that whole game. Because you didn't really have, there wasn't a reason besides just point A to point B. There was no real fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and what happened was I left when I was, I left Trinidad when I was nine um, and I went to live in England. And I would come back to Trinidad quite often, but never long enough where it made sense for me to get my driving license. And in, and in England, everyone has it's public transport, right? So, so I was using the tube and buses and so forth there. And when I'd come back to Trinidad, you know, my friends were driving around. And that's how I sort of got into the situation where I was in the passenger seat and my friends were driving like lunatics. So growing up in Trinidad and England, you didn't really have the bite and love of cars quite yet. What were you into? What, what was exciting for you then? What did you want to eventually go on to become? Well, so um, back then, I was really into photography. I still am really into photography. But it was one of the things that I was exposed to when I was at school in England was design, graphic design, and then through that, photography. And uh, that became my career path. And when did you eventually make it to America? 
I came here when I was 20. And that's when the license started. Yeah, so, so I, I then got, well, no, actually that's not true. I, I did eventually get my license in Trinidad, but I got my first car when I came here. So I bought my first car when I was 20. And Nissan or Porsche? Neither. It okay. was a Honda CRX. All right, for ninety though, that's not a bad car. It's still not a bad car today. I, I had the one with the smaller engine, which I'm told today is like a total hipster car because it's like the the economic one. EHF. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, at the time, I didn't think that was so great, um, but I've told now that's cool. It is. I, I, from being me being a Honda fan, I think they're very cool cars. So, when did your taste for you know such eclectic cars like? non-VTEC Honda CRXs turn over to the Porsche world? Well, I, I don't quite remember when it was, but when I was very young, probably in England, but it could have been in Trinidad, I don't remember. But I, was, I remember seeing a Porsche. There was, it was, I don't even remember what it was. Um, but I remember seeing it and thinking, wow, that thing's awesome. But I just never felt like it was something that I could obtain. Um, and so... My whole life, up until this moment, I've always thought, you know, Porsches were, were great cars, uh, specifically 911s, but I think, you know, all of them are great. Um, I like to make the joke that, you know, Porsche is an extremely considerate company because they, they've continued to make the 911 to the point where I could finally afford one. Yes. You know, and I think that's pretty cool. And there's a lot of companies that, you know, that, that if, if you saw a car when you were a kid and you fell in love with it, you would have to buy that old car because they don't make it today. You know, the same is not true with 911, which I think is great. Yeah, not not cheap cars, but if you grew up loving the 911, you know, and you sort of work hard and, you know, do the right things, they're not unobtainable cars. Yeah, well, they're getting pretty expensive now. Yes, it's kind that's of, true. You know, one of the cool things I always thought about Porsche was it was, you know, it was this sort of, I don't want to say compromised, but they they knew how to engineer something in a way that it wasn't crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be moving away now. They seem to be becoming much more luxurious, uh, less less simple, and of course the price is going up. Yes, as a result. Yeah, they're getting you know maybe a little. I don't want to call them Americanized, but a little bit bigger, a little bit softer. Yeah, well, I think everything's doing that. Yeah. So what was when did you first pull the trigger and get your first Porsche? I my so my goal was to have one for my thirty fifth birthday. And um, I actually think I got it six months before my birthday. What happened was I, was, I started to sort of go through uh, cars.com or you know, various places like that. And I knew pretty much what I wanted, I, you know, what, what wheels, what options, whatever. What did you want? What were you looking for? Well, so I wanted a, a silver Carrera S, and I wanted it to have black wheels. Is it a 997 or a 997, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and, you know, I was looking and looking and looking and just, you know, going through the motions. And then I found it. I was like, oh, damn, I just found it. So I better get it because I haven't, this is the first one I've found. I've been looking for six months. So I, uh, I just called the guy up. It was some guy in Newport Beach. And I went down there. And like, as soon as I saw it, I knew I, I had to buy it. I went through the motions of test driving it. And I still, you know, but I knew I, I just it, had to have it. Did it live up to what you thought it was going to be? Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it, it absolutely did. But I think that's because, um, I was a lot less sophisticated then. Yeah. Um, today, I still have the car and I, and I love it, but it's it's not my favorite Porsche. You know. Well, you have a few more and probably a few more highly modified ones. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't have like a huge collection. One of the things that I I really believe in is that 
a car has to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. So until I can come up with a new purpose, I won't justify another car. You don't just want one sitting there collecting dust yeah, like, on display. One of the things for me is that cars are kind of like flavors of ice cream. And you each one has to have a different taste. And, and, and that kind of gets into the modifying thing because the way you can make cars feel and, and taste different, if you want to say that that way, is is by modifying them. And, and that is something that... I, I'm very interested in because I want different driving experiences. Um, to have a car that you just sit there and look at, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think that's very cool. Um, but it's just not the way that, that I'm made it's up. It's not your style. Yeah. Well, you do have some Porsches that you do use. You are an avid track enthusiast. Uh-huh. Uh, you're affiliated with the Porsche Owners Club. Tell me a little bit about that because doing the research, reading how it's a completely volunteer program, mm-hmm. and you have some diehard fans putting together essentially a nonprofit mm-hmm. for Porsche guys to go race or Porsche enthusiasts. So how, how did you first get involved with that? Well, well, it's funny. Um, so my professional career is in real estate. And as a result, I had met uh, Magnus Walker. And he, he and I had sort of spoken a couple times. I'm pretty sure he didn't really know who I was. But when I bought my, my 997, I decided I was just going to roll up to his place and introduce myself again. As I'm sure you're not the first and you will not be the last well, Porsche owner the to do. the funny thing, though, I'm probably one of the first. Because okay. when I did it, he was not famous. Yeah. You know? And I joke with him. And I'm like, so now you have to keep your, all your doors locked, right? You know? But, um, yeah. So I just rolled up there and he was super nice, you know? Anyway, and we had a long conversation. One of the things he says, oh, just, you know, go and get yourself a helmet. And um, and I'll meet you at, at, at this track and we'll go to a Porsche Owners Club event. And I'm like, you know, I, I had no idea that you could do that. Um, it was, you know, that's the great thing about America. You can do anything you want, right? Sure. And so, you know, it was like, yeah, okay, going to the track, my new car, and, you know, Magnus is going to instruct me. And, and we did it, and it was great. And I realized straight away two things. First of all, that I loved going fast. It reminded me of when I was a kid and, and my friends would drive me around like lunatics. And the second thing I realized is that I pretty much bought the wrong car. Okay. You know, because because I realized, well, this car's pretty expensive, and flinging it around on track is is kind of the last thing you want to do is yeah. put that into the dirt. Or I'll never wall. forget we 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 put one of the wheels we, we what they call covering a corner. We put one of the wheels off the gator, and it went into the ditch a little bit, and so it was like a big bump. And uh, Magnus just looks at me, okay, don't do that again, you know. Yeah. And I remember thinking, okay, fair enough. And um, well, it also five hundred dollars a tire. Yeah, <laughs> you well, don't want to. There is that. Too. You don't want to do that again. Yeah, there is that too. So you know, I, so straight after that, I started sort of trying to figure out what was the best option if I wanted to go and explore. You know, learning to drive on a racetrack, and um, and then that's when I ended up with a Boxster, which of course is a car that is somewhat less popular, but actually gets the job done pretty well. It. I don't. I don't. I don't want to insult the Boxster or Boxster owners yeah. because I personally, I, I think it's a beautiful car and mm-hmm. they're a fun to drive car, but they, uh, there might be some 911 owners out there that would sort of turn their nose to the Boxster. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I get it. I mean, the, the, there is like price points and that does a lot to the culture, yeah. right? I mean, it does sort of separate people in a sense. Um, the new Boxsters are so nice though. I, the the box that I race is the first generation, whatever it is. I don't know. It's a it's a '99, so it's a first generation Boxster, and it's somewhat less attractive. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of the one of the interesting things that I've learned from from my sort of amateur racing career is that 
the cheapest racing is actually the most competitive because that's where the most people are. Yeah. And, and, and those people who are doing it cheaply practice way more than the people who um, you know, have these very expensive cup cars and so forth. Unless, of course, you're going into the professional ranks and then that's a whole different thing. Um, and it's really interesting because you know, we can talk about go-karting. Like you go to like go-kart races you know, around California, there's like 60-kart fields. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing how competitive it is. And the same can be said for the, the Boxster Series. BSR is what it's called. Um, you know, they, they're, they're usually pretty deep fields. Usually it's the deepest field in the club at any given weekend. Um, and there's some great drivers. And how do you set up your car? I mean, is it sort of, what are the limitations? Is it suspension? Can you build up the engine? Is it fully caged? What, what do you do to make it a, I assume you're not driving it to and from the track. Actually, I'm one of the few people that but you does. you do? Okay. Yeah. But I have to say, like, it's very questionable. It's not, it's not going to be that way very long. Well, me and one of my very good friends, we built our boxes from streetcars. And as a result, we were able to keep the, the, the license plates, right? A lot of people build them from wrecks or whatever that are, like, basically taken off the market. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the cheapest way to do it. But I, I didn't want to, like, get a trailer and do that whole thing. But strictly speaking, my car should not be on the street. Okay. Um, hopefully nobody's who can actually change that. I don't think that. any CHP officers <laughs> okay. are looking you up right now. Uh, that's what I'm worried about. But anyway, so, you know, it is fully caged. The rules, there's a very specific rule book. Um, you can't touch the engine. You can't touch the transmission. Uh, they, give you, um, they give you very specific uh, rules about suspension. You can use specific uh, springs. Tires are spec, so you have to use, we all use the same tires, we all use the same wheels. The weight is spec, so you have, there's a minimum weight. You cannot go below it with the driver in the car. Um, and there are various things like that. The whole theory is, is that all of our cars are essentially the same. So okay. it comes down to driver, you know, how good the driver is. And how good are you in it? You know, you started from, you know, having no track experience, and so now you've got your own built track car. How is, how is your ability to drive progress over the years? Well, so last year I, I won my championship. Oh, congratulations. Which, yeah, which was really awesome. And also I was uh, driver of the year, which was which, – so I had a tremendous year last year. So what you're saying is you're not bad. No, I have my I have my good days. <laughs> All right, and the video that I think first put you on everybody's radar is the Growler. Yeah, uh, it's a nine six two nine six four nine six four. Yeah. I, do you notice yourself? And maybe this is me with my dyslexia or getting older. There's too many numbers when it comes to Porsches. Well, I don't know. Yeah, they are a lot of numbers. But I get nine six two nine six four. 997, 991, 993, can we just call it the Porsche Frank and the Porsche Jimmy? Yeah. And we'll, well maybe, all know the names of each one. Maybe that's why my cars have names. See, you know? there you go. But it's, it's funny you mentioned dyslexia because one of the things that I find very amusing about that video is that I, I was talking about the, the power-assisted power steering, and I called it automatic steering. And I always think, like, wow, that's a good one, Alex. <laughs> I actually I, I watched the video this morning to sort of brush up, and I heard the automatic steering, and it's just one of those things I go, okay, that sounds okay. I, <laughs> I don't know what that is, but if you say it so, I'm going to believe the car had automatic steering. Yeah, it had automatic steering. I so took it out. <laughs> you, you have a car that you didn't want. Well, I, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it sounds. What happened is I have this really good friend uh, who was actually one of my – uh, 
tech. He was on the team. He was he was like one of the race engineers, right? And he had this car. His name is uh, Tyson Smith, and he he built that car, and he owned it. And he said, I, I was talking to him. I said, you know, I really want to get like one of those 997 GT3 RSs. And he was like, you know, you, you should try driving my car. I think, you know, we've talked a lot, and I I know your driving style. I think you'd really like this car. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know. And then that was, you know, that was the end of the lunch, or whatever. And I just left. And then, like six months later, we had lunch again, and he's like, "You know, you should you should really drive this car." And I'm like, "Okay, Tyson, I'll, I'll Says drive the, the guy car. trying to sell it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but but he's not really trying to sell it either because six months have gone by, yeah. right? You know, but he says, "You know, you should really drive it." And I'm like, "Okay, okay, I'll drive it." And I took it out, and I I literally went one block, and I was like, "Damn it, I got to buy this car." I bought it that afternoon. And was it the Growler back then, or have you now since turned it into the Growler? Well. Mechanically, he did everything. I cleaned it up. It, it, the the interior needed a significant amount of work. Um, it had a sunroof um, that was taken out, and there was some other sort of cosmetic things that I did. You know, with a creative background, he did all the sort of technical stuff, and I just added my creativity. Breathed on it a little bit, which yeah. is probably the best way to go. Yeah, you know, you, buy a two thirds done project and sort yeah. of just chip in the rest yourself. But that car, like Tyson. They did a lot to it. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, tell us what's been done to it. Oh, gosh. You know, I couldn't even begin to tell you. Because I, honestly, I don't, I don't even, I'm, I don't have the technical background to tell you. I know it has cams. Um, I know it produces about 300 horsepower. It has GT, uh, I'm sorry. It has um, Euro Carrera RS suspension from a car in Europe, which that car never came here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bunch of 993 modifications. And in that video, if, if you care to share, because I'm also a fan of you know, early morning canyon driving, mm-hmm. and I didn't recognize it. So wh- what is the area you sort of like to go on a dawn morning run? Well, I don't go there anymore because okay. I'm paranoid that the police are waiting for me. Sure. <laughs> but that was Glendora Mountain Road. Oh, okay. And yeah, then yeah. Glendora Ridge Road. Yep. Um, which, those are great roads. I, I, I go up there much more to shoot than to actually drive. It's such... Such great scenery up there. Does is there a crossover with your and it sounds like there is, but with your photography and your aesthetic eye and driving, do they sort of inspire each other? Does driving make you a better photographer? Does shooting make you a better driver? No, I, I don't think so. But I'll tell you what I do think is that for me, there's this uh, contrast between the creativity of taking photographs and the destruction of racing. You know, and, and I love that. I, I know I've talked about that before. But I, to me, you kind of, f- for my soul, so to speak, I kind of need to do both. You need to race and photograph. Yeah, because, because racing, I mean, it's like, it's just, everything just starts to fall apart after a while. But I think what interests me the most with, with sort of your path is you've got a lot of canyon carving guys, weekend Malibu car guys. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, those are the sort of the guys that maybe, and I'm putting myself in there. We want to be race car drivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just we might not have the means. We might not have the spare time. We might not have the ability to go out to Button Willow or Willow Springs, you know, and do some real track events. So that's sort of the closest we get to a race car driver. And then you've got the guys who are track drivers, have a race car, and they sort of get out. You know, they're they're okay driving a, an Accord or mm-hmm. you know or a, a truck because they get all their driving out on the track. They don't need to do it. What are sort of the advantages you see in both types of driving you do? Well, canyons are beautiful 
first thing in the morning, you know, the light sort of, the light sort of glides across the road and it's, you know, they're really, really beautiful. And if you're sensitive to that, it's great. Racetracks, by contrast, are usually visually very bland. Especially out here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the ones out here. Exactly. Um, So you definitely get something different from them. The problem with canyons is, well, first of all, you can get in trouble. Not 100% legal what you're doing. Yeah. And, and, and. It's also dangerous, yeah. right? I mean, um, and the other thing really is even if you put those two things aside, you just can't drive at the limit on the road, on a public road. You know, one of the great things about the POC for me is that, you know, I had all this sort of pent-up energy to go and drive fast. And now when I drive, you know, I, I drive pretty slow on the road. It's, it's unbelievable. Like people are so honking you are, behind me. you are getting a lot of that aggression and energy out on the track where you don't know so much need the canyons anymore yeah Yeah, i mean i i yeah i i haven't driven in the canyons a long time and you think it's because of you getting more and more involved as a real race car driver yeah i mean i think i i think what what as a driver what interests you is is sort of being on that edge of traction you know that that's where the magic is and it's just very difficult to do that on a on a on a public road and a road that you know has bicyclists and yeah, could be wet yeah. and don't know what's around the corner i mean i've you know i've got just as much poor judgment as any other people and i've done it but it's you know it's i would say that people should go you know to do to do a day at the track it's it's not it's not that expensive and i'm sure there's you know not just race fans but porsche fans listening that might want to join the porsche owners club and get involved so what is what is sort of the entry? How do you get in? You know, what what are the basics for someone, you know, who want to take their Porsche and go racing? Well, the first thing is, is actually you don't have to have a Porsche. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind All of right. One Ford Focus going to be a yeah, next you event. Sh- you should come. I'll instruct you. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you don't you don't need to have a Porsche. They they they're open to all marks, but they have a great program. Now you can go to like a skip barber school and and get a race license. I, I, like in a weekend almost, or maybe two weekends, right? I don't know quite how the, their system works. That's not how it works with the Porsche Owners Club. They they have a long process, right? But the thing is, by the time you're done, you've you've really learned the craft. And so what happens is, is they start you off in what they call the PDS series, which is the Performance Driving Series. And, the, you know, the instructors you have at that level are teaching you very simple things like to look further ahead. They're teaching you how to hold the steering wheel. I mean, these things sound really remedial, but, you know, it's amazing how many bad habits you have to take out of people. Everybody thinks they're a good driver mm-hmm. and no one realizes they're not until they're on a track. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's. So everyone goes into everyone's first track day. Anyone who's, you know, of our elk that think they can take a turn pretty quick. They go, I got this. And then halfway their first lap, they go, oh, I'm not as good as I thought. Yeah. It, the, the thing about it is that you have to adjust your parameters in a sense. You, the G-forces that you feel when you're on the street are nowhere near the G-forces no. that you feel when you're on track. So when you feel like your body's being pushed and you feel like, well, this is, this is as hard as I've ever been pushed – that's still not even close to how far the car can go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just not reaching the traction limit of the car. And so people have to adapt. People don't, people aren't used to like threshold braking and how hard you can brake and the car will actually still stop. You know, those parameters you have to reach. And the only way you can ever reach them is on a racetrack. 
And what is next for you? Is there going to be another Growler project? Is there going to be improvements to the Boxster? Is there another race series you want to be involved with? Well, yeah. So there is another car that I'm building, which is probably like the foolish, most foolish thing I've ever done in my life. But I'm basically building another sort of, it's a 74 911 that I'm building into a 73 RSR clone Mm -hmm. for the street with a massive engine and... I, at this point, I you know I wonder why I'm doing it, but there is no no level of car person will start to build a car and not say what you, exactly yeah. you just said. Well, maybe maybe that's true. I'm going through that phase. I mean, and I don't regret it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm like, man, there's something wrong with me. You there, know? there. We, I I will go show you. Uh, a handful of employees project cars mm-hmm. that all started off as nice, simple $500 projects. And we constantly go, when did this stop being fun? Yeah. Why are we still doing this? Why, why, when did we ever think this was a good idea? Yeah. But you want to finish it. Yeah. You got to finish it. No, I'm going to finish it. And I, and I and can't, can't wait, wait to, to drive, drive it. it. Yeah. I can't wait to drive it. But so, so I've got that going on and that, that's been going on for like two years now. It's probably another six months, maybe another year until it's completely done. Um, as far as the race car goes, you know, that's really interesting. Um, again, going back to the Porsche Owners Club, you know, so I went through the ranks and I, you know, after PDS, I went into time trial, which is kind of like that intermediary area. And then from there into cup racing, which is full on wheel to wheel racing. And I spent two years chasing the championship. Um, I had to take it very seriously, I had to like increase my fitness level. I mean, I, I, I mean, I go kart pretty much every day. Is that kind of like, um, I don't know. They, they, I think they call them the silver drivers at like uh, an IMSA or Rolex 24. Would you be on that level or like the gentleman I, drivers, yeah. but in a cup car? Yeah, I, I don't – I think that – I don't know how to answer that. I Probably not. Okay. But, but probably in a situation where I could get there pretty quickly. Okay. You so know, if that's the pros, you, you're looking to do some AAA ball or minor leagues. Yeah. yeah so I would say that – I would say the the best way to look at it is someone at my level probably if I if I if I committed to like being the silver or the lowest level of of like IMSA or whatever it would be it would probably take me a couple of years to kind of get up to speed with them there'd definitely be a learning curve but mm-hmm. it probably I'm probably in a position where I could I could get there you know Well Dempsey you hear that yeah. If you're listening, Alexander's uh, coming for you. Will come for you. <laughs> wants a spot on your team. Uh, Alexander, thank you so much for coming in. Everybody, we're going to post photos and the video of the Growler on CarStories.com. And uh, if you want to get involved with the Porsche Owners Club, but what do you know the website? Uh, I think it's PorscheClubRacing.org. PorscheClubRacing.org. Thank you guys for listening and check back on iTunes every Tuesday for new episodes and at Peterson.org and CarStories.com. Alexander, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Mm-hmm.